The epistles from Romans chapter 7. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. If she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but the new life of the Spirit. What then shall we say? The law is sin? By no means. Yet if I had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel in St. Matthew, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, will by no means lose his rewards. This is the gospel of the Lord's. Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. From our gospel lesson that Pastor Packer read, Matthew 10, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I've enjoyed this sermon series in Matthew chapter 10. 
We hear there of the first mission, the first work that Jesus gave to his disciples after they had been instructed by him to go and preach and heal. God cares for souls and for bodies. We heard in the first sermon from Matthew 10 that some will not accept this preaching and healing ministry, and we cannot compromise that message in any way. We have to shake the dust off our feet and move on. Last week, Pastor Packer also showed us that Jesus said some not only will reject, but they'll actually attack the gospel and the preachers of the gospel to persecute them. And in that, we cling faithfully to Christ who will save us. And now as we come to the end of the chapter, Jesus tells us another problem that his disciples and we his disciples will also encounter when we are in that mission to preach and to heal. And that is, it will create division, division even within our own families. So in this sermon, we're going to hear what not to do and what we can do in that terrible situation when division erupts with those closest to us because of the gospel of Jesus. The first question, though, we might ask and answer is why? Why does this happen? I remember an older couple in one of the churches I attended. They had one son. This older couple was a faithful, they were a faithful Christian pair and very gentle, very kind people. Uh, God had only blessed them with one son. When that son went to college, <clears throat> he listened to the professors that especially turned him away from Jesus, and he was also drawn to friends who believed in the same, and he turned away from Christ. And I'm sure created one of the greatest heartaches of that couple when he wrote in an opinion article blaspheming the very heart of the Christian faith, that is, that God would send his son Jesus to die for the whole world and its sins. Some would ask why this happens and say, well, it must be that those parents were hypocrites. Isn't it true what Proverbs 22 verse 6 says? Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I even knew a man who clung firmly to that verse and assured to me absolutely that if children fall away from the Lord, it must be the fault of the parents because of that proverb. might be interested to know that that man was a bachelor, was not married, and never had any children. He also did not know the book of Proverbs as well as he thought. The book of Proverbs is a book that is heavy on the law. Remember, it's a wisdom book. And two sermons ago, I said the law is what gives us great wisdom in this life. And the promises of the law are true. However, that excludes other important circumstances. For example, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 21 says this, No grave trouble will overtake the righteous. Well, now go and tell that to old Job. There we are told that Job was a righteous man, and yet he was overtaken by all sorts of grave troubles. 
That's because the promises of the law don't exclude the problems of persecution and the troubles that the devil causes in this world, in our own personal lives, and in our families. Uh, Some might have said that Job was secretly a hypocrite. In fact, that's what his friends were trying to tell him. But Job didn't listen. Instead, he listened to God and trusted in Him. He knew that the righteous will prosper somehow, but he also finally in the end realized that he was also being persecuted in ways that he himself would never understand and that he had to finally trust in God himself. You see, hypocrisy is not an issue for true Christians who will even stop and examine themselves and ask, am I maybe the hypocrite here? Is this my problem? Hypocrites never do that. They never stop and ask themselves that question. They never examine themselves. But in reality, it is the devil at work here. We know that certainly from the book of Job. And Christians are not immune to the attacks of the devil. And virtually all the great people of the Bible found themselves, like Job, in similar circumstances. Adam and Eve had two sons. One listened to God, the other one didn't, and the latter murdered the former. Uh, We go on to Noah and see uh, that he had many family and personal problems. The same is true in all of the patriarchs as we read about their life stories in the Bible. No Christian, no believer is immune to the attacks of the devil Sometimes the problems are are ours, and we have to own them, and we repent of them, certainly. But they are not always, always the direct result of our own behaviors. Faith, we know, is not genetic. It's not passed on in that way. Child-rearing is very, very important, and that is why we struggle as parents. We pray for help, and we seek God's repentance when we fail to live our lives out fully according to God's will. But in the end, all people will be judged, not by what kind of family they were raised in, but what they did themselves with God's Word. We know that people turn away from the Lord by their own choice. And so that leads now to what not to do, what not to do in this situation when we find ourselves experiencing the third problem, of the mission of preaching and healing, the problem of division. We do not give way to Satan. When he attacks around the edges, when he draws certain family members away toward him, the great temptation is for the entire family to be drawn in that direction as well. Parents ask themselves if it's their fault. Children ask themselves if it's their fault. Brothers and sisters ask themselves if it is their fault. And the devil whispers into everyone's ears and says, See, you can't take God seriously. Things don't turn out like he said they will turn out. And eventually everyone gives up on God. That's exactly what the devil wants to have happen in these cases. What we are to do is this. Listen carefully to Jesus. As I said already, this chapter is about the most basic mission of the Christian church and of the Christian life, to preach and to heal. And Jesus warned, now we're to the third warning, 
warned that it would be rejected, warned that it would cause persecution, warned finally now that it would cause division. Yet Jesus gave those disciples hope and promises that we have ourselves. You see, in many ways we are like little children learning to walk. Our parents hold us, but they urge us to let go of their hands, to try it on our own. And we start to walk, and we begin to totter a little bit, and then we fall over, and we cry, and we look back to mom or dad, crawl to them, and finally they lift us back up again, and we try it over and over and over again. As you listen to the gospel lesson that Pastor Packer read a moment ago, you'll notice this famous quote that Jesus gives us from Micah chapter 7 about sons against their fathers and daughters against their mothers and all of these terrible divisions occurring in the family. That quote from Micah chapter 7, however, is not really about a division in a Christian family or a believing family. That quote is about the depth of the depravity of the people of Israel in the time of Micah. And what Micah was saying is that this is what happens to all families, all families, especially those who do not follow Christ. In the end, everyone will be at each other's throats. This is the way and the ultimate result of sin. All will end up that way. And so Jesus is appropriating this passage, and he's showing us that though some members will follow Christ in a family, not all will. The whole world will not be converted in mass. The whole village or town that these disciples were going to would not be converted in mass. And the families that they would be visiting and maybe some with whom they would be staying would not be converted in mass. That's the way things work and always have worked in this world. God mysteriously allows people to resist Him. This is something we cannot understand, but we must accept. If, if we are saved, it is a salvation by grace. But if we resist, that is our own problem. And that problem is devastating. It breaks our hearts. We don't want to see the rejection. We don't want to see the persecution. And we certainly don't want to see the division in our own families. But something good can still happen here. When we run into these things, we, spiritually speaking, fall on our hands and knees, crying, confused, painful, sad, and we crawl back to Jesus. He lifts us up. He brushes us off. He forgives what needs to be forgiven and heals what needs to be healed. And He sends us back to this mission of preaching and healing for our children, for our friends, for our neighbors. Until we die, John in the book of Revelation said that our works do follow us. I've been a pastor for many years, and I have sat beside the beds of dying rebels Young men and women who had turned away from Christ at some point in their lives, their parents died, 
And as far as those parents knew, those children were completely lost. But as those children came to the end of their life, very far more often than otherwise, I've had very few people that stayed rebels to the bitter end. But I have many, many death side, bedside confessions. And those rebels realize at the end of their life that it was not their parents who were lying to them, but it was the devil. And they return to the seeds that were sown finally germinated, finally grew, and the faith was there. And so that what, what brings us to this understanding of this mysterious saying of Jesus. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here's the way to appropriate that and apply that to our daily lives. If we think the key to life is in maintaining family unity at all costs, if the key to life is maintaining friendships at all costs, if we think the key to life is the right politics, is the right kind of mindfulness, nutrition, exercise, work, wealth, music, art, being nice, being non-judgmental, being as what the Bible calls friends with the world, etc., you will lose it because that's none of those things are the key to life. However, if we realize that life is God's and that He has given us all things for the body and the soul, the rain, the sunshine for the body, but His own Son and His blood, for our souls, for the forgiveness of our sins. When we realize this, and when we listen, and when we repent, and when we believe, and when we strive to obey, no matter what the cost, economically, in terms of our friendships, our family, or even our health, when we give that all up, we will find the life that God wants us to have in His Son, Jesus. Amen. Please rise.